Genre. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Scrooge and the Muppets from The Muppet Christmas Carol. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest Charlie Keeks. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks for having me. And producer Andrew, I know this is a favorite of yours, so I imagine you'll be jumping right into. Absolutely. Well, this 1992 film was written by Jerry Jewell and directed by Brian Henson. It sees the Muppets inserted into the classic Charles Dickens story, A Christmas Carol, and it stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge and Dave Goals as Gonzo, Steve Whitmire as Kermit and Rizzo, and Frank Oz as Miss Piggy and Fozzie. Do either of you have like a distinct memory of when you first watched this? I was four when it came out, um, so I'm guessing probably had the vhs um i can't remember with, with the thick white the box thing, you know the clamshell vhs box around it <laughs> yeah i'm just young enough that it probably coincides with my earliest christmas memories um oddly enough i feel like one of my earliest memories ever period is watching et um mm. but uh yeah that's yeah, because of the trauma really seared the memory of et me. right in there exactly yes uh <laughs> Uh, like Die Hard, right? <laughs> the, the classic Christmas movie. But yeah, this has just always sort of been part of my family's traditions. I'm pretty sure everyone in my family really liked it and we got a lot of rewatches out of it. Andrew, do you remember? Uh, I don't. I just remember it being a consistent classic. Um, and actually, uh, along with, I think when we discussed uh, Muppet Treasure Island, I think this one was uh, permitted for Sunday viewing because it's, you know, it's a classic, even though it's the Muppets. Yeah, I think every Christmas movie is permitted on Sunday. It's true. <laughs> in uh, the month of December. I don't think we were throwing on Home Alone and the Santa Claus. Mm, yeah, maybe. But uh, wow, White Christmas. Wow, white, white Christmas. That, that's and... a good test. How strict were your parents? Uh, we, we had <laughs> yeah, no like, the... Sunday weekday. Um, we didn't have yeah. blue laws regarding our VHS days. <laughs> Above and beyond, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, rating was appropriate, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Even then, uh, I was the prude compared to my own mother, so I was self-policing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the trailer for this, which was attached to Aladdin. And so I remember oh. going and seeing Aladdin in the theater and seeing the trailer for this and thinking that looked like the funniest thing I've ever seen. And then I really enjoyed Aladdin. So, I mean, it's not like <laughs> I, I was upset that we saw Aladdin. But... When you've got a large family, like it's a big deal to take the haul the whole family out for a movie. Oh, so I think true, we saw true. Aladdin because Aladdin came out at Thanksgiving time. Uh, and then this came out uh, just a couple weeks later. Kind of a misfire in timing, I think, for Disney, um, hmm. which is one reason why this didn't do terribly well at the box office. I think Aladdin was really sucking a lot of the family movie going oxygen out of the theaters in, in December of uh, 92 when this came out. So I don't think I saw it till the next Christmas, probably on VHS, you know, in 93 uh, is kind of my vague memory of that. So some trivia, uh, which I guess I kind of covered one bit just now, but uh, this was the first Muppet film that was directed by Brian Henson and the first film released following the passing of the Muppets creator, Jim Henson. The film is dedicated to Jim Henson and Richard Hunt. Richard Hunt was a Muppeteer who had worked on Sesame Street and the Muppet projects since the 1970s, and he died from complications with AIDS in 1992. 
And uh, also for a first for the Muppets, this was the first Muppets project to be produced with Disney. Eventually, Disney will purchase the Muppets franchise entirely in 2004. Just part of their slow crawl through every piece of intellectual property uh, <laughs> that they can possibly own. <laughs> yeah, um, I am old enough to remember when Disney was primarily associated with movies like Aladdin. That's what I thought when I thought Disney. So, <laughs> yes, now they've, they've definitely expanded their reach audience and bottom line. <laughs> You think Disney, you think uh, everything from ESPN to, to Star Wars to, to the movies like Aladdin still, <laughs> right? Um, this project was initially um, proposed as a TV movie for ABC. Um, hmm. and, and then the ABC executives, which Disney owns ABC, read the script and recommended through the, whatever channels they had that this should be a theatrical release. Uh, and Disney agreed. And so that's how it ended up becoming a theatrical release. And it was not a box office hit. It only made $27 million, which, I mean, I would love to only make $27 million, but that's kind of disappointing uh, for what expectations would be. Um, but it was released, as I said, just a couple weeks after Aladdin uh, had hit theaters and also Home Alone 2 uh, was hitting this holiday season. And Home Alone had unexpectedly It looks like the become... budget was $12 million, so unlike the huge money you know, sucks of some other bombs. I, I think that's respectable to make double your budget. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think this is like a bomb. It just wasn't mm. a huge, huge hit. And, um, you know, Home Alone True. had been. I think so, it is a VHS kind of sleeper type movie mm -hmm. for sure. Oh, yeah. It, it's definitely had a long tail that has made it extremely profitable uh, for Disney. The 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 fact that it's, um, you know, in constant rotation every December. Uh, the like you said, the VHS and the DVD releases all did well. So um, it's not like it's a forgotten one at all. Um, and it has come to be known as a Christmas classic, even more so than I'd say like Home Alone 2, which was a much higher grocer, uh, you know, that particular year. I don't see Home Alone 2 in the rotation quite as much as Muppet Christmas Carol, I think. Hmm. This is my sense of it. Home um, Alone 2 is the one where they're in New York, right? <laughs> yes. Lost that in to New York me is the Home Alone. I don't think I oh, knew really? about the oh. first one till like way later, because again, my generation, I don't know that I saw it forever, maybe. <laughs> Um, after he was cast as Ebenezer Scrooge, Michael Caine said, I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. I'm <laughs> going to play Scrooge as if it is an utterly dramatic role and there are no puppets around me, which I love that. Can I pause you right there? Is he yeah. speaking to stand-in actors or a green screen in this era? How would that have gone with you Muppet? Uh, in this era, he would have been, it, it would have still been uh, the puppeteers right next to him. Yeah, pre <laughs> predominantly the puppets. Maybe okay. some some green screen. <laughs> the the green screen was really only uh, I as far as I remember from watching a documentary about this several years ago. I think the green screen was used for the, like the scene of Gonzo and Rizzo floating behind Scrooge and the ghost of Christmas uh, past okay. when they go flying above London. Well, and, and that's and pretty much the only green screen. And the ghost uh, that they used. the ghost of Christmas past is inserted. Yeah, that's like floating in a, a tank of water. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which that, give me the I, viewers I think, what they want. The actual <laughs> Muppet <laughs> That is the creepiest Muppet, even more so than the Ghost of Christmas Future, which I think is the one they worried with scare kids. The Ghost of Christmas Past is the is uh, vocal timbre is very odd. I hadn't remembered that it was like in a horror movie kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the last bit of trivia, and this is going to take a minute to explain, <laughs> depending. 
on what version of the film you have seen. There is a lament song by the character of Belle called When Love Is Gone. It's either there or it's not. Uh, and it comes or goes depending on the release. So the song was filmed and Brian Henson wanted it in the film, but Jeffrey Katzenberg asked for it to be cut. He's saying that children will be bored by it. Brian Henson was not happy with this, uh, particularly because there's a later song in the film, The Love We Found, which is meant to be like the bookend, the counterpoint to When Love Is Gone. So Brian Henson argued for its inclusion. Uh, so it's not there in the theatrical release, but then it gets inserted in the 1993 VHS and Laserdisc releases. Uh, when DVD technology comes around in 2002 and 2005, there are two different DVD releases. And as was the style at the time, there would be widescreen and full screen options of the film on the DVDs. On both releases, the full screen cut has the song included. The widescreen cut does not. <laughs> but wait for it. <laughs> In it's not, 2012, it's not we're going to get a Blu-ray <laughs> release. Uh, so, so another new set of technology. And do you remember that they, 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 they like made a big the deal about the DVD combo packs? I think it was a, like it was a big deal that the Blu-ray had the song, right? Yeah. So they do the combo pack, uh, but at the same time, they also re-released like a new standalone DVD version uh, uh, of the film. So the standalone DVD that way, if, you, if you're not getting the Blu-ray version, has the song, but the Blu-ray DVD combo pack. Neither of the discs in that have the song on the disc. I thought it was on the Blu-ray. No, it does not. And in 2018, Brian Henson said, I don't think it's ever going to be included because we've lost the masters. They're just oh, gone. Man. But then in 2020, the original film negatives were discovered by archivists. However, as they were trying to get it ready for do, uh, Disney Plus, there wasn't time to restore the original negative. So the version on Disney Plus to this day still does not have the song included. And I have to say, I side with Katzenberg. The song is a bore. If I can use some slang that is probably outdated already and completely inappropriate for a man of my age, it does not slap. <laughs> this is the composer who wrote, among other masterpieces, uh, Rainbow Connection, spent the mm -hmm. entirety of the 80s, and I quote, blitzed out on vodka and cocaine, checked himself into rehab, and then penned this song, which I could still <laughs> sing. Clearly, I saw one of the, you know, unabridged well, you, had, you had the 1993 I VHS. I'm going to defend the arc of the songwriter and the sing. I think perhaps... There's, you know, two levels in which to appreciate this movie. Yeah. One, you know, just as children's entertainment. But I think thematically, I'm going to side with the composer and his crazy, oh. very 80s story and say, I liked it as a kid. And I was pretty young. I was, what, four when this movie came out? I don't remember mm -hmm. being bored. I liked that there was like a you know a love interest i guess all all disney <laughs> movies need love interest so can, can i throw in a, a little bit of extra stuff and 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 my take on it yes uh, the, when love is gone is like the, <laughs> when, the thing i didn't know would be like one of the most interesting artifacts of pop culture so please go ahead um, so for one thing, and this is just a fact from uh, to shout out my other podcast disney animation minute essentials jeffrey katzenberg <laughs> thought a lot of great songs would be boring for kids because he wanted to cut part of your world out of the little mermaid. What? <laughs> Which is a pretty, it's a pretty critical song. If you've ever yeah, seen yeah. the little mermaid. Isn't, isn't Katzenberg one of these where he's had something of a fall from grace. And, you know. um, 
Well, I know well, he, he's going to leave Disney and go do DreamWorks, mm-hmm. right? Because it was DreamWorks SKG, and he's the K. Yeah, he uh, Katzenberg really, really wanted to fill an ec- executive position at Disney uh, alongside uh, Eisner after the person who was in that position, who was a very close friend of Eisner, uh, tragically died in a skiing accident. And Katzenberg really slid his name across the table a little too hard, a little too fast. And it, it, that was not a good move. <laughs> Um, cause he's like, I, I would like to be the president. I would like to step into this slot. And that oh, did not work yeah. out very well. And it was, can we really trust the man who green lighted Queeby? I, mean, <laughs> I was about to say he was the Quibi founder. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think he lost a lot of traction at Disney at that point. And that, that's one of the things that ultimately led to, you know, his shift towards, towards DreamWorks. Um, but I also think watching the movie at, and like, I can remember the movie with the, with the song and without the song, I can mm-hmm. I can think of it very clearly in both cases, and I don't care a ton about the song <laughs> in and of itself. But without we, we it, we found a third way. But it's without it, the pacing stuff. Backstory. This, um, <laughs> but the execution, as uh, Joe had argued, well, he just, and, that, the, the, the pacing's bad without the song. It was artistry and um fundamentals we all think the fundamentals are solid but <laughs> the, but the, the artistry points we're giving different scores on the the pace of the film is bad without the song that scene yeah, suffers that. It's, without it's so the abbreviated song. yeah that that mm-hmm. sequence is really short and weird and and abrupt without the song and so functionally i think the song is supposed to be there whether whether you like the song or not it's like no i think the song does need to be here and I think like Brian Henson has a point about like the book ending with the the later song makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And also um, seeing this uh, woman, you know, make this agentive choice to leave a bad relationship. Like that's actually pretty cool to have in a very old story. Uh, yes, you know? I think this comes across both in the text and the movie version is I think it gives a little bit more of three dimensions to the character. Everyone knows Scrooge as almost a metonym for a miser, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not simply a miser. He's a miser with trauma, as I'll go into more deeply. But I do think that uh, with the rise of marrying for love in the first half of the 19th century, when this was set, obviously, it is a historical, it's not like a modern take. They're all in um, Dickensian era, 1830s, I would guess, garb, somewhere in there. Um, Yeah, that was a real social change to marry for love, not for money. So I think it it helps establish Scrooge, Ebenezer as a um, like a person where I just think again protagonist character growth I think him having that kind of core wound I've heard it called makes a Mm -hmm. lot of sense to me you know a kind of embittered aging man makes so much more sense to me like that tracks when it was like at this um, fundamental crossroads in his life um who he had become was like, there was nothing he could have done to salvage that breakup. I think almost every human, except Joe, maybe, you know, marrying his college sweetheart here, um, has experienced this and can like resonate and be like, wow, like, like it's really, I think it's devastating actually. But again, maybe it depends how many breakups you've been through, Joe. 
Uh, no, no real breakups. <laughs> Just uh, no, no real relationships. Still met Emily. <laughs> that one took, you know, clicked. Yeah. So we'll we'll get into this more deeply since um, I do think she's her role in the arc is more of a um, uh, a catalyst, you know, rather than like. Uh, spoiler it's not like he gets her back or anything right so mm-hmm. um yeah as, as something that the creator the author is using to to make us feel it all the more i think when he has his uh third act redemption yeah and i think uh i mean we're jumping the gun a bit on this but scrooge <laughs> because he's become such a shorthand for that i think there's uh versions that permeate pop culture of characters that are called Scrooges are very one dimensional. So we think of Scrooge as one dimensional. And I think this is one of those points that adds depth uh, to, to, to the character. Yes. All right. Well, before we get to the plot summary, we want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Now on to the full summary of A Muppet Christmas Carol. So it is Christmas Eve and we meet Charles Dickens, played by Gonzo, and Rizzo the Rat, who are going to act as a Greek chorus commenting on the story. And this is uh, the classic story of Ebenezer Scrooge, a selfish selfish miser um, who does have a good-hearted clerk named Bob Cratchit, who is Kermit the Frog. Uh, Bob Cratchit asks for Christmas Day off and Scrooge angrily and bitterly decides he will allow that. Um, We do get a little more... Uh, because it is Kermit. I, I, like we follow Cratchit a little bit more <laughs> than, in, than in the book itself. Uh, so so we do see him, uh, you know, go home on this on this Christmas Eve. Then uh, Scrooge is going to go to his house where he will be haunted by the Marleys, Jacob and Robert Marley, who are Statler and Waldorf. So they they double them up real quick uh, for this real version. quick. Can I just throw in something I realized as an adult? Yeah, that would be Jake and Bob Marley. They added Adam to Marley and they made it Bob Marley. <laughs> I've never noticed that. <laughs> okay. Good catch. Well, there it is. <laughs> little, yeah. Great catch. Little cameo uh, by the name of the name Bob Marley there. Uh, and they are going to warn Scrooge in a great musical number uh, that he needs to repent of his arguably the most evilness. earwormy of the numbers. I feel like that's the one that just like Marley. stuck with me. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's there's some good songs. I like the uh, One More Sleep Before Christmas is a good one, but it's not quite as earwormy as the Marley and Marley. Uh, and they warn Scrooge that he's going to be visited by three spirits that night. And I always love the trivia because you can always catch people if you're doing like Christmas trivia for anything like how many ghosts visit Scrooge and everyone will say three. Uh, but it is in fact four in this version five because they have two Marleys uh, because of Marley's visit. And so at one o'clock, Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas past. And they made the choice for this adaptation that they're going to insert the Muppets into um, many of the roles, but not as any of the spirits. I know there were some, I saw some references as who was considered at various points to be some of the ghosts of the classic Muppet crew, but they decided to instead just make them all entirely new. It mostly, it seemed because of uh, the 
eeriness and the creepiness of the ghost of Christmas future. They didn't want one of their Muppets, uh, you know, trying to, <laughs> to play against type essentially and be the ghost of Christmas future. And so we get the incredibly creepy Muppet for the ghost of Christmas past, uh, which I don't like. I was rewatching this <laughs> and looking into her eyes. <laughs> I, I'm is, with you here. I, I don't enjoy that character. It's, it's yeah, a, it's a, it's a choice was made. Down. Okay, but like, <laughs> in, even in the book, that, the, it was. We'll call it a but Katzenberg's, uh, you know. Um, but but in, in the book, this this spirit is very strangely. It, this described. is the creepiest spirit. Yeah, it, it, in the book, you think for sure. more than the um uh, future with the the yeah. starving ignorance and want children. I thought oh, that the, was the that's the. Creepy. That is a creepy oh, that's, that's secret. The present. Yeah, but 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 the ghost yeah, of Christmas present, past, like present uh, homeless children. When it when it describes, at least those high. are humans because the ghost I of Christmas past. Ghosts. It's like it's... it's like sometimes it's got six legs and sometimes one leg, and all of a sudden it's got oh, four, wow. four like and yeah. yeah. It's like it's like constantly shifting. It's Do you like, think that's like, influenced like, by like angel memes? Gothic um, literature, like this is pretty. I mean, you know, it, it sounds very Cthulhu-esque, but this predates Cthulhu. That's you know, true. any of that. Like the the Gothic literature of the time doesn't have that kind of creature. That kind of creature really is going to come out of um, Lovecraft. I feel uh, like we need Lovecraft's law. <laughs> Be like the views of Charles Dickens do not in any way <laughs> correlate to <laughs> Dickens. I think was a progressive. I think this yeah. story feels pretty progressive to me <laughs> yeah there's there's some social commentary in the story we'll, we'll we'll get to that in the discussion oh. so anyway uh creepy <laughs> muppet goes to christmas past takes him to his own past where we see uh fozzy wig which fozzy so bear perfect. that one like, is just so perfect world class like, fun i i was you know kind of distracted i looked up i rewinded to see the credits and it only yeah. hit me as an adult i was like wow that is that's gold. <laughs> it's, it's almost like when you realize you could do that, that's when you decide you're doing a Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a scene stealer. He was one of my favorites in Muppet Treasure Island. Oh, he is so good. Because yes. Mr. Fezziwig in the book is just supposed to be like this burst of positive energy. Uh-huh. And Fozzie can nail that of just like, I'm coming into the scene. Guns a blazing. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I love this turn of Fozzie Bear playing uh, Mr. Fozziewig. Um, and uh, Ebenezer's going to be working for him. And they're going to have a Christmas party. And this is the point before we start to see the turn of Scrooge. Scrooge is going to meet a young woman named Belle. Um, they're going to fall in love. But then the ghost is going to jump ahead in the timeline and show them when uh, Scrooge's uh, like obsession with, with money is going to be driving Belle away and she will leave him. And this is the, where the missing song uh, w- would uh, fit in. And then Scrooge's return to his present day. And then uh, at two o'clock, we're going to meet the gigantic ghost of Christmas present. I really like this Muppet design. This is my favorite of the, the Muppet designs for the ghost. And this one works really well with the description of, of ghost of Christmas present. It's like, oh yeah, like yeah. like big Muppet guy. Got it. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely, and and I think the Muppeteers or the the Creature Shop really like to be able to do like the larger than life Muppets. It seems like whenever they get to do one of these, there's a, a good energy that seems to come out around these kinds of uh, you know versions of Muppets. Um, in the present day, uh, we're gonna see Scrooge uh, bounce around, visit his nephew, where he'll see that they're making fun of him, <laughs> and then they're gonna go visit the Cratchits, where he'll see, wait, I, maybe. Maybe they don't get quite enough money for a living wage, if that's something someone is interested in. Uh, and then uh, we also see, you know, Tiny Tim is sickly. And then um, 
the uh, Scrooge asks about Tiny Tim and the ghost of Christmas present tells him that Tiny Tim's not going to see another Christmas day. Um, if, if things don't change. Uh, and then we are going to jump to the ghost of Christmas yet to come, uh, who is this shadowy robed figure. And they see Scrooge's future uh, or a future Christmas. And they see businessmen uh, talking about uh, someone who died and, and being very kind of rude about it. And uh, he, he sees people talking about possessions that he re- you know, kind of recognizes are his, but he's trying to kind of willfully ignore the fact that that's my bed sheets. <laughs> it seems. Uh, and then uh, he's going to learn that Tiny Tim has died and then they go to the cemetery where the ghost is going to show Scrooge his own grave and Scrooge is going to cry out that he can change his ways and then he awakes back in what was his present day uh, and it is Christmas morning and uh, we get just a a happy Michael Caine going around and being good and I love this is always like this part of the Christmas Carol never disappoints when Scrooge is being good. Uh, <laughs> like this is a great story all around, but this, I almost wish there was a little more time spent with happy Scrooge doing good deeds. <laughs> uh, so he's going to surprise uh, the Cratchits with Turkey and give gifts to everyone, give uh, charity to some people that he turned away at the very beginning. And uh, just everyone uh, in this version gets to have a happy together sing along as they've all uh, come together to celebrate Christmas. The end. So, I guess my first question. God what bless do, us, everyone. <laughs> yes, thank you. What do you feel like the Muppets add to The Christmas Carol? Uh, you know, a a true classic that has stood the test of time. And just because it, it's so prominently adapted and also read around Christmas has to be one of the most, like, consumed works of human creation ever. But what do the Muppets themselves add to this? I feel like it's played pretty straight. Perhaps um, compared to other Muppet movies, I felt like, especially with Gonzo being Charles Dickens, which is a pretty meta. <laughs> I, I do think they have some fun with that, making him. Oh, the, the opening only... little monologue that he gives is like, this is incredibly postmodern. <laughs> it is, yes. That's a great word to describe it. So, yes, I think by having... Uh, such free reign creatively, it seems like. Um, yeah, they were able to put a somewhat meta or postmodern twist on this extremely, you know, you can quote by line by line. I think everyone knows the line, you know, decrease the surplus population, et cetera. You know, this is one of those works of fiction which has entered like the collective <laughs> unconscious. <laughs> so I would say to me, that's the major thing they add. And then, of course, the excuse to burst into song. I think nearly every Muppet movie is at heart a Broadway musical in terms of it's like, I want songs and, you know, the way the exposition is done. So I think mm-hmm. it makes... <clears throat> I haven't seen tons of other adaptations is what I'm real with both these stories. I'm like, what even is my other um, exposure to this work of fiction? You know, the, the plays and you know, different movies. I know there are, but I'm like, I, this is like it for me. So in a way I have less to compare it to. And it feels pretty. Um, like this, this feels like an earth. Canonical. To yes. To me, it's <laughs> almost canonical. Maybe Andrew's seen more versions to uh compare it with i i have seen i don't know actually now i have really do have no idea how many versions of christmas carol i've seen at least (laughs) half a dozen but but maybe over a dozen all other this 
was an original work in 1992. There's no other version. <laughs> this is but, but the Charles Dickens is only a label for a blue nose. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but ultimately, like, I think there is definitely something added through like the familiarity of the Muppets. And so it like it puts me more at ease. And I think a, a lot of adaptations like they are bogged down by wanting to be the adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And by giving it the the Muppets as kind of like a, a comforting context, you know, you can kind of slip me into any other world and be like, oh, but like I've got the Muppets. So I kind of know some of what's going on and they're playing roles and they're playing parts in this. So I kind of know what's going on with this. Um, and that, you know, that brings something to it. And it's fun to not just see a Christmas Carol, but also see like oh, we are doing a version, right? We're claiming it as a version, right? So you immediately don't have to have any suspicions about text loyalty. And Again, every other every other version gets that. Academia, postmodern, maybe this is a much more sophisticated screenplay uh-huh. than I had realized, mm-hmm. just casually entertained. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Well, I think, uh, Andrew, what you're saying, it's like, I, I think most versions of, a Christmas Carol now, and they're still turning them out. They, they have to do something that makes them react against all the versions that have come mm-hmm. before. But for the Muppets, that's already done because it's the Muppets. Like yeah. the spin is already there. Hmm. Uh, like I, I remember last year there was a version than other versions. I think the book ended up feeling almost a little more of a drama. Whereas mm-hmm. I think I had always thought of it as basically a comedy. I mean, it has a happy ending. Yeah. So What's your take on that? Comedy, drama, both? Well, I was going to say, I, I remember last year there was a version on FX that was getting a lot of promotion, and I never watched it, but all the reviews said this one was going for, like, the uh, like Christopher Nolan Batman version of Scrooge. <laughs> like, it was just dark <laughs> and grim and gritty the whole way through, and most of the reviews did not like it, but they just said it was just, it felt like it was wallowing in, uh, in, in like, everything dark about London in that era and the social <laughs> issues, and it just felt heavy to mm. watch. And certainly with the comedy of the Muppets, this is a lighter, you know, tone throughout. Uh, and and I think that social commentary is there in the text, but also, you know, some adaptations in order to differentiate themselves from the dozens of adaptations that have already been done. You know, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to lean into this or that. And again, I, I think a lot of the spin is already taken care of when it's the Muppets. You know, it's going to be a lighter tone and there's going to be gags and and, um, you know, that they're going to break the fourth wall and all the other things that the Muppets do. Uh, but th- this one does get anchored with that straight version of Michael Caine playing Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, and I think I think with the lightness that comes with the Muppets, you get the freedom to be serious when you want to be serious because you don't have to be serious all the time. Right. If if it's mm-hmm. oppressive in the dark streets of London, uh, you know, from scene one, then it's going to be like, how do you get more oppressive by the finale? <laughs> and with the Muppets, they just say it's like, oh, no, for this third ghost. Muppets are like Gonzo and Rizzo are out. We're not doing jokes. Yes, there's still Muppets mm-hmm. in it, but we're not doing jokes for this next you know chunk of the movie. And when we see Kermit, it's the saddest Kermit we've seen mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and and so you can like play even after his uh you know 
many, many um, breakups with uh, Miss Piggy. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, it's a different sadness for Kermit when he's playing the weight of a father who's lost a child mm-hmm. than, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, someone who's lost their romantic partner, you know, or had a breakup, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. Not lost, but, but yeah, because, uh, you know, even the, mo- the most recent Muppets TV show, like that was some of the opening premise was that Kermit and Piggy are broken up. Yes, that's a different, yes. It's a way a different weight than Kermit and Piggy playing uh, you know, uh, Bob and uh, what is Mrs. Cratchit's name? It's escaping me. Um, but you know, playing the the parents of Tiny Tim, who's passed passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I th- this I think is sorry, you- that's in an alt timeline, right? Not the like real quote unquote live. I was like, did I miss <laughs> like a fuck? It maybe maybe the Guy Pierce version is what we need. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you, it's like a choose your own adventure and you just like stop reading after the thing goes you're like yes children with disabilities die in london every day how dare you celebrate christmas the humorless um left-wing christmas carol is just like and every poor person died because the late Be- early because stage capitalism is broken <laughs> because the capitalist that, you know what? That would be the French version. I can see Emile Zola or Balzac being like, yep, and rich people going to do that and poor people die. <laughs> Merry mm-hmm. Christmas to you. <laughs> but yeah, so I think the I think the Muppets, because they automatically inject so much levity, even even on the dark streets of London, you yeah. have like a, a greater range up and down to play with. And so when you go down for for you know the the darkness of the ghost of christmas future um it feels darker for having spent so much time above above the shadows and and so yeah if it's if it's just dark smoke choked london from the very beginning it's like well you can't make it you can't choke more smoke (laughs) you know after a certain point and so if it's and they do signal like uh in this version like uh gonzo says i'm out uh, on this ghost i'm not you know he and rizzo are like well, we'll be back for the finale mm-hmm. uh you you know you audience are on your own how for do you feel part. the um costuming works on the muppets i thought it was quite well done it looks oh, great challenging mm-hmm. but yeah i thought they did the different period. i love the design of this i love this the the city streets they made um which they built you know a huge so indoor that is a win as well i think it's it doesn't look like a super it looks like a movie of its time it's not like crazy mm-hmm. on special effects or anything but i kind of like that it, it has a certain charm to it yeah and i actually like um you had asked about like green screen i prefer it when you can still see like the wires on the muppets uh and you can tell like the you know, when they're doing like the cowboy cuts of like Muppets falling and then, you know, you know, it's another puppeteer that's popping up, but it's it's just done in one cut, you know, one mm. one shot. And you you don't like just say, oh, they just CGI that or, you know, or anything like that. I, I for me, that's more magical for the Muppets. Well, that and you're, you're kind of seeing the hints of the nuts and bolts of how this is actually happening. And then you get like some really great moments like at, at the very beginning in the opening song, Michael Caine has to walk through a street populated entirely by Muppets, like wall to wall Muppets. Which means there's like there's like 20 puppeteers like laying down on the ground and Michael Caine's walking across like a two foot board so that the Muppets can crowd around his legs. Because also all of the Muppets, except for like the notable tall ones, are waist high at at the highest. And so you you get all these like weird moments and Michael Caine has to keep doing all of his acting, looking downward at Muppets. Mm -hmm. And so like the 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 Muppetiness of it really i like there's something magical about this i like this this might be my favorite muppet movie 
it's definitely up there for me. It, it's, you know, in that top tier, no doubt that, you know, I have to debate it with a couple others, but it's it's in the running. Yeah. And and I really, really like what they're doing with it. And it, like and they know that you're dealing with the Muppets, but it's not the Muppets as themselves. It's the Muppets completely mm-hmm. in character, like even more so than than Muppet Treasure Island. They're really straight yeah. up in character. Muppet Treasure Island. They're like, yeah, but like it's Kermit. Get it. And this one's like, yeah. no, Kermit's just he's just doing the job. He's just he's, he's just off, on stage. Is Kermit <laughs> playing a character? Kermit is an actor. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wait, yeah. That that makes this even more uh, a postmodern reading. Yeah. Meta. Can a, can a <laughs> meta character narrative. fully can a puppet character no less fully lose himself in another character? This movie proves you can. And, and <laughs> because like, I, you know, like maybe Kermit should be. Um, eligible for an Oscar supporting <laughs> and I fight, like it when the, the Muppets <laughs> like like when the Muppets do this style of Muppet show versus like the straight up Muppet movie or the Muppets you know where they're, where they're themselves it's a very different flavor mm-hmm. uh, that you actually get like this isn't about the Muppets this is the Christmas Carol and the Muppets are there to be spice and, and splashes of color which and it comedy. looks like that came a lot from Jim Henson himself having recently died they wanted to go more heartfelt for sure Mm -hmm. and kind of honor of his vision for what Muppets could do is what I understood from the yeah yeah. I mean I've listened to the commentary for it and there is a lot of like Brian Henson talking about it's like I mean it's really hard to do this without Jim and (laughs) yeah the legacy was a major Mm -hmm. concern and like like how are we carrying forward the Muppets there's a uh honoring what Jim's vision was mm -hmm. and there's a moment that he points out and he's like well this is actually a really significant thing because in the the Fozzie wig party, um, we show Rolf playing the piano and Rolf mm-hmm. was Jim's character. And this is the first time we put him on screen after Jim died and nobody voiced him. Rolf the dog doesn't have a voice in this movie. And it's like, oh, yeah, Rolf's not like. Yeah, cause like it, Jim it. had done uh, Kermit, but other people even in his lifetime had to do Kermit mm-hmm. just because Kermit was everywhere. And he's, with, he's like, nope, nobody did Rolf. So we put him yeah. in and it was kind of hard to like put him in even for a little bit, but that's, you know, that's the moment that I wanted to have for it. And so it's like, there's some really sweet stuff. I also think it's great to have the Muppets reading lines, right? Like they are performing lines from a Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. And there's something magical about that. It's like, Oh, the Muppets are storytellers. The Muppets are, are telling me a version of a story and it's a great story to know. Yeah, in some ways, it's like, uh, I mean, this is getting into like the layers and layers of Muppet Dumb. But on (laughs) the Muppet Show, like you see all the behind the scenes, but then they go do a sketch. And sometimes they're like really committed in the sketch, right? (laughs) And other times it's all about like the madness that are going on behind. But like you get uh, when Skeeter does, uh, you know, the Vorpal Blade, what's it called? The Jabberwocky. Like they really commit to Skeeter is performing this poem, you know, of the Jabberwocky. Uh, and it's it's kind of magical to see them do that. And then this one, like they really commit to okay, all these character actors from the Muppet Show have been cast in <laughs> the uh, you know um, a Christmas Carol. Seems to be the, you know the ver- how how they're choosing to play it this time around. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit where it's like you know Kermit and, and Miss Piggy are together, and it's like mm-hmm. everyone's like yeah, but like they're of course they're going to be together. They're a real life couple. <laughs> but that's like the context for it. It's like oh, but like this is a real life couple. Uh, Charlie, you had specifically asked if you could come on to talk some more about Ebenezer Scrooge. We we did cover the novella of A Christmas Carol way back in the first year of uh, the protagonist podcast, uh, but we we haven't revisited uh, this discussion you know since then. So, what is it about Ebenezer Scrooge that you wanted to dig, dig into in a discussion? 
Yeah, so really my main exposure to the character, we're watching this as a kid on the VHS in the 90s, and then not really interacting with this story. Again, I just, I kind of missed all the other adaptations. It's just not something I thought a lot about. Um, so I actually read it for the first time just in one day, New Year's, uh, not New Year's, pardon me, um, Christmas Eve day, uh, in 2019, so just before the pandemic, which again feels <laughs> uh, like a different world for sure. It might, it might read differently even now. Um, and I was actually really pleasantly surprised by how nuanced the character is, Ebenezer Scrooge as a person uh, specifically. So I, I wrote a review um and I'll just, uh, you know, pull some things there and, you know, go off there. And I, I do think that uh, Michael Caine's performance matches closely with um, kind of what I had in my head. But again, I, I saw him before I read it. So that influences right. you, I'm sure. <laughs> so you're, you're carrying that vision in, in with you. Yes. Um, so for one, in the text, and I think this matches uh Muppet Christmas Carol, he's really like sensitive and smart. So here he is saddled with this weird name. That would have been a weird name at the time, right? You know you're <laughs> going to be bullied, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? So I always thought like, okay, who names their kid that? Well, it turns out in the text, you don't even have to read between the lines. It's in the lines. His dad is awful. His dad is <laughs> yeah. what I think today we would classify as emotionally abusive. His sister says like, wow, dad was so kind to me because he didn't completely chew me out and actually came home. So, you know, here we have a family that's in crisis, in dysfunction, and he's sent off to boarding school. <clears throat> um, I don't think there's any indication they're wealthy where, you know, oh, that's just what you do in Britain. No, there's really, really the strong implication that um, there is uh an abusive dynamic and so yeah I things are bad at home well, believe <laughs> the ebenezer is carrying that dynamic i don't think this is as obvious in the film but um the nephew that has his really um optimistic personality and wants to celebrate christmas and you know it's like money's money uncle <laughs> i'm happy to have you um it's actually the sister that he was really he being ebenezer was really close to she dies in the book i i don't think that's really um, stated one way or another. Yeah, that's kind of sub subtextual. Yeah, yeah. So the subtext, you know, you think about that, and then what I think often siblings in dysfunctional families where there is emotional abuse, they they rely on each other. So I'm sure that was just devastating to him. And so what I wrote in my article is that a Chris's character. Carol is a short allegorical answer to the question, how can I not be a jerk? I used a strong word too in a society <laughs> set up to maximally reward jerkishness. So who he reminds me are these um, anti-heroes in um, what I would call like the millennial wave of television. So late 2010s, um, specifically Rebecca Bunch and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And then I just started the uh, last season of this show, You Are the Worst, also on FX. He has a lot in common with Jimmy Shive Overly, who's British and just has this really caustic wit that's actually very funny. He's always heckling <laughs> people. Like, I, I guess I was surprised how much I laughed with Scrooge, right? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, the, these people are so um, smarmy. Um, I... 
I kind of uh, thought, you know, he he's saying a more heightened version of what we think, you know, in our most self-centered moments. So that was my theory of why he could pull off this late in life transformation, this other wave of anti-heroes, maybe from the 2000s. Like, I think they were psychopaths psychologically. Like they just they had no empathy. And, you know, you're not really rooting for the villain as protagonist. You're like, all right, they're getting what's coming. I think that um, he has the capacity for empathy but he had to turn it off as a coping mechanism with this childhood so it's really him coming back to what i would argue is who he is as a person um so i thought the best part of the the book and you know the movie uh suspend some realism with muppets but the, we'll say the character the best part of the character uh, Scrooge to me is his realism. He doesn't get his ex back. He's a bachelor and it seems like he's going to stay single. That's that's his lifestyle. Uh, Tiny Tim's not you know, miraculously healed. Uh, you know, he's going to have to deal with his disability still. Uh, he's not going to die. So there is that. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yes. It's like, how can we make the world as it actually is somewhat better? And to me, that's like mm. the actual... <laughs> Again, Charles Dickens, in terms of his background, I think kind of famously you know, growing up in some pretty extreme, extreme poverty, which makes him um, always on the side of the underdog. But I think that um, there are Christmas narratives or, you know, cha- like sudden change in your life narratives or it's like uh, people wouldn't even recognize you. Right. It's like you've had a tumor or something. I I think it is shocking somewhat to the characters around him that he is now you know empathetic and (laughs) acting you know in a more reasonable manner but I think he's still himself so that's what I appreciate about this character is he can be a little bit like flinty even you know sarcastic uh an introvert (laughs) there's that famous um New Yorker uh uh satire piece um I'm not an asshole. I'm just an introvert, right? So I feel like he'd be saying that today. But yeah, but um, he can be more integrated in the community he does have while still being himself. I think, I don't know. I just think that could really speak to other people who've suffered um, parental trauma because I think the research long after this movie even is proving that um, you would be affected by being abandoned on Christmas at your boarding school. The, the only kid, you know, without. Uh, so I think, yes, he has an attachment disruption that I think is actually pretty realistic. And just to me shows yet again, Charles Dickens, I think, is a very psychological writer in all the best ways. Yeah, I, th- I think there's some uh, uh, there's definitely a reason that uh, this Christmas story resonates and doesn't feel like as saccharine as some other Christmas stories, even though mm-hmm. like. It, it it could be, you know, the like, uh, you know, the, the worst person can become good, uh, you know, can just <laughs> feel so over the top in terms of, like you're saying, the transformation of the character. But yeah, the, the screenwriter Craig Mazin has this great um, theory about irony and how for something to resonate in a screenplay he's talking about, it always should go back to things established about the character. Right. So I think that Charles Dickens and this um, film, um, by making 
it just wouldn't work with any other holiday, even a very celebratory one, right? Christmas has this uh, shared cultural meaning that's really only getting solidified at the time of publication. I think this book actually introduced new traditions, <clears throat> from what I understand, um, that I think it being about generosity, uh, I think uh, I was kind of in a semi-similar position in college where I remember working through the Christmas break in the office and you do, you feel culturally, no matter if you're, you know, like a practicing Christian or whatever, it was, was widely the case in Britain at the time. But I think it shows this kind of secularization of the holiday that, you know, it's really, what is Christmas all about, Charlie Brown? It's about being with people who care about you. So I think if you're in a place where you're feeling isolated, Christmas can be very, very hard on you. So that's what I appreciate about this character's arc is that he, um, his redemption is this um, connection with people that are like right in front of him. It's not him mm -hmm. being a better boss in a capitalist sense, not like selling all of his worldly goods and going to an ashram in India or something that wouldn't be like realistic. You know what I mean? Like, yes. like the payoff to me hits harder where it's like, yeah, he's just going to be like a better version of himself, not some unrecognizable cartoon. <laughs> and I, I, I think what you're saying is which, like, you which know, I guess goes well with the Michael Caine, you know, um, treating the whole project as very, um, you I'm know, playing artistically straight. elevated right yeah <laughs> yeah uh which uh i mean we had you on to talk about um Muppet treasure island and we saw tim curry definitely winking at the camera uh you know in oh, his performance interesting of, yeah of long john silver and huh. i i think they both work uh it's just what tone are we gonna get and i think there's a different feeling throughout because michael kane is playing this as a straight adaptation of a christmas carol and not um everyone's in on the joke all along the way and it's funny because Long John Silver, as an antagonist to um, Jim Hawkins, um, I would argue is the much more charming character. Like, who would you want to get a beer with for the famous presidential test? Like, for most, even after the transformation and after the big reveal, like, you just, you feel drawn into Long John Silver. So again, maybe a little simplistic, be like, oh, extrovert, introvert energy. But I actually did start to sympathize more with Scrooge by being able to get in his head more when again the the caricature is just like oh this awful dude who yeah hates poor people or whatever right like, I, I think like he's, he's not as um one-dimensional as say the um uh villain in um Dr. Horrible remember uh he's like just so clueless as well mm -hmm. as being kind of self-centered I think um Scrooge, Scrooge isn't an idiot. He he's attuned to like the norms of his society, and I always prefer characters, no matter how outrageous their um, uh, speech or actions, which some of them are in Act One, pretty pretty dickish. Honestly, <laughs> he's he's not nice. Um, they seem to come from um, a psychologically believable place. Like Scrooge feels like someone you could. Uh, me in the course of your work or whatever. <laughs> and I think it's interesting in terms of Dickens, like social commentary mm -hmm. that 
you're saying like, you know, this overall message is part of like, you know, Christmas special because and you're a better person when you have people to hang around with. And that's part of it. And you see that with the Cratchits and Christmas present. But it also is very explicit that that togetherness and that love does not solve your problems. It does not <laughs> fix you know the the issues of poverty and illness correct uh yes. you know that, that are plaguing uh the cratchits well, and are well, going to end tiny tim's solutions, life i think uh dickens would argue for for sure uh yeah scrooge yeah. can't just write checks to fix everything <laughs> so yes that would be the uh but but also like the, the cratchits love isn't fixing everything which some christmas stories i think the more saccharine ones kind of say well you know uh positive emotions are <laughs> you know the, the gift that are going to fix the world. And this is very clearly saying positive emotions make it bearable. Uh, and, and that mm. love and forgiveness, you know, uh, that, that love and family togetherness can make it, uh, you know, what, what would be just an emotionally devastating situation to be uh, in the depths of uh, poverty with a chronically ill child, like tiny Tim, you know, that that's just going to wear on you so much, but their love does elevate them. And, and, you know, prevent them from feeling the full weight of it, but it doesn't heal Tiny Tim. Uh, and, and literally, like, transforming the healthcare system can help Tiny Tim. <laughs> so that's, that's what it's going to take. That's part of the message of this, is, like, Scrooge introducing, uh, you know, his wealth to allow Tiny Tim to get access to the medical care that uh, had been denied him because of his poverty is going to uh, prolong Tiny Tim's life. Uh, you know, that this is going to change. Uh, you know, where we where you get, you know, Gonzo yelling, Tiny Tim, who did not die. <laughs> you know, that that's the big thing is, oh, you know, healthcare is is matters <laughs> like, like it's going to affect their lives in ways that all the uh, emotion that Scrooge had been missing and that is going to transform his life. Uh, you know, it still not, still wouldn't have been enough if Scrooge hadn't been able to step in and provide some of that, um, you know, literal physical care that that the Cratchits were in need of. It's interesting. It just makes me think that the era this was released in for you for you kids out there, you know, this was the end of a more um, right wing era in the American politics, because all all Hollywood stories, I think, are ultimately about America, even if they're set in 1830s Britain, (laughs) that's the context in which they're made. So it would make a lot of sense to me that. you you have to have some idea that um i don't know like what you do i i guess you know everyone brings their own priors to any text mm-hmm. any movie i can't say oh i was you know reading this as a commentary on um you know healthcare reform in 92 at the time <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that I would have known what any of it. It would be interesting to see because this this text gets adapted so often. Like, is there pivots in how much they deal with that, or you know, the the omission of uh, you mentioned like the uh, the children of what is it, poverty and ignorance uh, and want and famous ignorance and want. You know, does does that scene get included or not? You know, because choices have to be made throughout. In this one, it it doesn't. Uh, I've seen versions with it. It's always weird when it's included. (laughs) Is it not in the? It's in the George C. Scott one for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, then then for sure they're trying to make it a little more appealing to kids because that is, I think, where Dickens' um, politics, if you want to call it that, um, come through the clearest. I mean, yeah, it's just a pretty obvious, um, as you say, social commentary on a time in England with, um, I would say from the data I've seen, worsening quality of life. Like as it went from a more 
agricultural society. Uh, yeah, the, the increase in industrialization is having yeah. some major yeah. impacts on life quality <laughs> and health uh, and yeah, the, the sustainability of you know so so many things. So, do you think that the movie ultimately would make people feel a little too like oh because I mean we grew up with you know, kind of the same sort of you mentioned you know like the Santa Claus right I, I always would say that the 90s were interesting in that there was this kind of unironic like there's a war on Christmas at the same time as mainstream culture was more I guess consumerist is the word I would say. I remember, you know, my, my parents weren't good with money, much like, you know, so uh, maybe um his um nephew. What's his nephew's name? Um, Oh, it's escaping me all of a sudden. I, I, I'll get it here in just what? a second. Uh, Fred. Fred. <laughs> Fred. Yep. So when Fred is like, we are going to have a good time. Money doesn't matter that much. I, I feel like... um. That was more possible 30 years ago than even now, you know, just kind of basic life stuff, as everyone well knows, um, is um, it's more like competitive and high stress, I think, to raise a young family. So people had kids younger in the 80s and 90s. But I think there was an unironic um, consumerism about Christmas. Like it wasn't I don't know. It just wasn't seen as like against you know, kind of other um, values you might have around the holiday, you know, re whether religious or um, m like just generosity. You know, plenty of people observe the holiday from a secular or um, religious uh, standpoint. So I think it's interesting. That I think the culture has swung to be much more concerned with the plight of the underclass. Like, <laughs> I just don't think that was like the thing when this movie came out. So do you think there is any um like any of that bite of dickens is lost and you think that's okay like it's the muppets what do you think about that um, i i think that like the cutting the the ignorance and want scene it's just because it's really hard to actually put on film <laughs> you know what it is it, you know in the in the book the way it's presented the book is that the uh the ghost of christmas present like pulls back his robe and where he had feet are two uh or street urchins you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh you know instead of legs Cle he's got street clearly, urchins. uh the uh director uh brian henson hasn't you know seen uh michael kane's other work <laughs> i think he knows from street urchins <laughs> yeah uh but it, it it's just a really strange visual uh that uh, kind of like the uh the ghosts of christmas past like you, most people don't try and do what dickens actually describes in the book because it's just it's really odd. <laughs> so I don't think it's like uh, necessarily a cultural moment to omit that. It's really rare, I think, to see that scene included uh, exactly as it's, it's uh, presented in the in the text itself. Do you think it holds up with today's sensibilities? I often feel like I go back and watch movies from my child. I'm like, oh, oh I'm like cringing. You know, it's either. Just um, like I, I have no nothing I catch on. And I, I don't know if that is that this has been so regularly like like i, I agree probably watch like this I, once I was a surprised, year like it held <laughs> you know? up i could i could show it to a kid today and not you yeah. know get any cancellations so <laughs> yeah good. i mean i probably watch this once a year so i you know I, I it's never been like oh i'm gonna go revisit this after a long time away you know, like this is one of those movies that i think is in my december rotation that at least it's gonna be on. But i, I mean, like, I, like that sit down and watch, that we watch need. it but it's gonna be on while i'm wrapping presents or something like that you know um and, and so we need I, internal I, change and 
commitments to be a more generous person as well as universal health care. Well, both things can be true. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the, the because it is played as a more, I mean, straight with Muppets adaptation, but but like the, the Scrooge part is played straight from the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this text has absolutely survived many ebbs and flows and social changes and is still celebrated and constantly adapted and constantly referred to and listened to and read. Uh, I, I don't think there's much there that's suddenly going to make people say, oh, you remember that, that, that hasn't aged well. Cause this has aged well. Uh, you know, the, the, the cortex that this is adapting has aged very well. Yeah. And, and I would even argue. So I do think it's interesting to see um, much more discussion in my lifetime about mm, Maybe one way I would put it is a more pluralist, pluralistic, hard word to say, uh, society. So the idea that, you know, if you say happy holidays, you're not trying to um, exclude anyone, but right. include. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm someone who really enjoys Christmas, celebrates it, but I'm not like a believing or practicing Christian. There's no um, meaning there for me at this time in my life of like. You know, the nativity and this being, you know, something that I have to um, mark. I, or are you going to Christmas mass or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. So I think that it's interesting that it um, resonated with me so, so strongly. I was like, this, this is touching something. And the other, you know, uh, viewers should go back and listen because I learned many facts about the film I didn't know. I think another similar film that really, really um, gets so tied to Christmas in the mass consciousness, despite it being mostly a movie about suicidal ideation, is It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. So I really think that those two protagonists um, would be good examples of something that can transcend this um in my mind completely um fruitless um culture war i don't think (laughs) believing christians are going to be like shamed out of (laughs) believing that it is the birth of their messiah and the annual tradition of such that seems um very um not how the human mind functions to me to try to um you know cancel that or whatever and at the same time i don't think the um you know, the Macy's uh, windows shopping spree aspect is going to go away either. I think even as we start to rethink, you know, 90s style commercialism, it's it's a thing that's pretty baked in to um, our shared American culture. Um, and so I think that those would be two examples of using the holiday in a really um, specific yet universally appealing way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my take. And I, 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 I think it feels like texts... we need ritual and maybe people mm-hmm. without organized religion in a world with, not without, but um, without any one state religion and with a increasing number of people who don't um, affiliate, like a really, to the demographers, to the professionals studying this, I heard one at a lecture who thought, I thought maybe this was a blip. This was probably five years ago. So he mm-hmm. thought, oh, you know, all these young people will, you know, go back to some church or other as they start to have kids, as they get married. Um, with some notable exceptions, uh, that is not a reversing trend. America yeah. is more secular. So I think 
That being the case, I would like to see a world where we can talk about ritual in like a more like honest way instead of because I mean it is it's a critique of capitalism and working 365 days a year. I was just like, man, like this idea where it's like coming at 8:30, not eight, literally could be many global late stage capitalist employers where it's like maybe we should just all take off Christmas <laughs> and that's just that's just a cultural norm that you get paid time off to go not be yeah like things like Walmart are open on Christmas now I'm just like this is a broken society <laughs> I am so glad someone is standing up to by almost satirizing this idea that you must be basically that your productivity being a new religion. I think it really is. And I think there's some good writing out there um, on how our generation, really millennials, are sort of expected to be um, worshiping the almighty dollar, especially post Oh, I'm writing that line. I can't be included in that sentence of our generation. I'm right with you. You're on the cusp. I'm in that you, I mean, you remember, where, you remember a no better one... world where you <laughs> yeah. could sometimes not, you know, be connected and be working. So yeah. I actually think it's a pretty vital text for burnt out <laughs> remote <laughs> workers supported by a mostly invisible underclass where you know, it's like you're just lucky to have this job crash where it's like, yeah, we shouldn't use the threat of <laughs> ruin and precarity to um take away some pretty basic benefits for workers. So again, a very like high level abstract social commentary reading of this text of this movie. Basically, everyone take Christmas off, please. (laughs) Even if you are in no way um, uh, Christian or you're an immigrant from another country, it's all great. Like we have one thing that can unite us all (laughs) in the English speaking world, a day where you're expected to experience joy and not labor. (laughs) And I was going to say both um, It's a Wonderful Life and a Christmas Carol have explicit like Christian imagery within it. Like, yes, the, yes, you know, for sure. I'm but, not. I'm not claiming but the, but the author the, is a yeah. post-Christian. I'm saying that mm-hmm. it can still resonate in a way. Yes. Some the message of be better, Marnie. Um, <laughs> uh, text where it's a little more heavy-handed on the mm-hmm. um, you know, the little baby Jesus or whatever. For some reason, I feel like I can appreciate that more in song. I really, really appreciate um traditional christian christmas carols um but when it comes to text you know you you just have to um on some level uh resonate with it and yeah sometimes it can feel it can feel a bit much for some reason it doesn't bother me in uh, a charlie brown christmas but that's a perfect movie so <laughs> <laughs> um but i was gonna say like but even if you want to um like you said as someone who's not a practicing uh, you know, Christian can appreciate the overall message of be better <laughs> and yes. find joy through human connection. That's that's a great message. And the fact that this is one of those texts that, uh, you know, has been around for centuries and is still getting new adaptations. I, I think that's evidence that that message is something that we're, we're still seeking. Yes. Thank <laughs> you, you know? for the recommendation on um, Super, Super Dark. Uh Ebenezer Scrooge, because you know from our um, Count Monte Cristo episode, I am a Guy Pierce stan. Yeah. I love that actor. So the fact that that slipped under my radar, 
uh definitely need to revisit uh yeah, yeah. i imagine it's available on hulu uh you're the worst um with jimmy shive overly that i mentioned as a character that to me um really did just remind me of uh scrooge a lot so great british acting right there <laughs> charlie i want to thank you for coming on and uh talking about Ebenezer Scrooge and above a Christmas Carol kind of ended up like splitting like, okay, we're going to talk about the Muppets and now we're going to talk about Scrooge and Dickens and social commentary. Yes. Thank you Uh, for bearing with me on this um, theory I've had about this character. I, now that I have um, an editor who I moved in with, actually, I feel like, um, you know, all my weird uh, deep cut uh, protagonist, uh, you can definitely cut this, (laughs) but yeah, anyway, (laughs) Thanks for having me, Joe and Andrew. It was a pleasure to revisit these canonical characters and get in the Christmas spirit in early November. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to release this till December, but we had to record this a little earlier. And so my kids walked up and it's uh, two days after Halloween. And and my son's like, we're not supposed to do Christmas yet. Oh, you're one of those strict households. (laughs) No, like my daughter will start. My daughter's definitely going to start doing some Christmas stuff soon. But it's more like, you know, around the week of Thanksgiving, we can fully shift gears. But for now, it's like, okay, we're still taking down the jack-o'-lanterns, you know. Tan France, (laughs) who moved to Salt Lake, um, but of course grew up in a Muslim Pakistani home put up a Christmas tree over Halloween. I'm like, sir, you don't need to like embrace your new home that much. I know Utah loves a good Christmas tree, but like that's too early to me. So I, I have no firm date, but yes, I'm kind of, I think Thanksgiving is worthy of its own, you know, mm-hmm. and to me, it's very weather dependent, you know, it's, it's still quite mild. So yeah, I know it'd be hard if you were in Australia or, yeah, somewhere where it's not a seasonal holiday. Right. It's just, yeah. Where, where it's, it's a it's, Hugo it's holiday, right? Yeah. It's all about coziness. <laughs> uh, we we hadn't really like intended to make this our tradition, but very often uh, Emily and I go up to her mom's house for Thanksgiving, and it's kind of nice to come back to Christmas. So usually, like whenever we're heading up there, like oh. the 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 few days before, we start getting out the Christmas stuff because you don't want to come back from Thanksgiving and like have nothing out. <laughs> you know, you kind of want to come back to the house and be like, oh, Christmas time, it's here. I've always thought of it as a little bit of like an advent countdown so i feel like i start feeling christmasy and i go full like i especially music which i mentioned um i go like bananas like you may have noticed i'm like the most obsessive participant in the christmas carol smackdown where i'm just like yes i'm and i've thought about like why this is i i think there's a few things i always have like a very like whimsical personality and christmas is all about like Oh, you get to like believe in like magic and, you know, impl- like you think out all the um, like weird, like if I were an anthropologist who knew very little about human societies, Christmas is weird, right? Like <laughs> Halloween has some like internal consistency. You could trace it to, you know, its pagan roots. There's like these different things that like, Christmas has so many layers, right? Mm-hmm. With the exchange of gifts this Santa Claus character who's so dark in European versions, right? With um, Krampus and, you know, the other civilizations come down hard on the coals and stocking, right? So I don't know. I, I When people say, oh, Christmas is so commercialized, these days I'm like, Christmas slaps <laughs> to use a Christmas, phrase I should Christmas is a constellation of so many influences. Just, you know, just, like just our, sign me up our American... for 
yeah, uh, version of Christmas is all over the place. William Christensen's The Nutcracker, Downtown Salt Lake, See the Windows. I'll even do my grandmother's very Jesus-y um, nativity uh, scavenger hunt. I just <laughs> I just roll with it. And the other, you know, holidays, I'm like, take her, like, I detest Valentine's Day as a longtime single. I'm like, this is, this is cultural abuse. <laughs> but like, you know, it's, it's just... Uh, wherever you are in life but yeah i think it's funny people say oh you need little kids or you need this that, or the other but i think i think for some reason christmas is like chuggy if you've heard that word you know a little um unfashionable um and maybe i'm a little unfashionable because i love it <laughs> i'm looking forward to, we need a little christmas to go that song in 2021 it's it's been a long slog of a year for sure so thank you for interrupting my <laughs> remote only scrooge like behavior where i feel like all i'm doing is working so <laughs> yeah and there's something about this muppet version of christmas carol that to me just definitely helps to ring in like the holiday spirit of it all uh you know christmas carol is a great text but this one is uh, one of my very favorite versions um of a christmas carol I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. And also please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast and your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. Uh, you can follow at uh, ProtagonistPod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. And there is also a Discord channel for Dueling Genre where all of the dueling genre podcast hosts hang out and will chat about their most recent episodes. Charlie, is there anything you would like to plug? Yes, there is. I am launching a podcast that is pretty much the opposite emotions of the Christmas <laughs> Carol, but still valid. Uh, what do you want to know? Just like the URL and a bit about it or yeah, why don't you uh, you know give give the elevator pitch to any listeners who might who might want to go seek it out? Excellent. So in Salt Lake City, 1930, was a murder just as brutal as anything uh, the Black Dahlia you may have heard, and it's still unsolved to this day. So I am launching the first season of a narrative nonfiction podcast called Salt Lake Noir. So you can go to Salt Lake Noir N O I R dot com to the patreon then at least follow along subscribe throw in uh, some money if you want to we'll see what premium features i do but i'm just really excited to uh examine the intersection of uh the underworld of the time it has everything it has uh persian princes prohibition speakeasies Two dead wives, a doctor who performed abortions on the side, getting blackmailed, um, and the lens we'll be looking at it is that there's this obsession, you know, the true crime genre with, like, corpses and dead bodies. I'm really interested in these characters, especially the woman at the center of the story, uh, Dorothy Moormeister, um, as she was alive. So uh, follow along and join me on this journey. Um, here in Salt Lake City. All right. Well, I mean, true crime podcasts are definitely a very popular genre. So I, I hope this goes well for you, Charlie. Thank you. I 
never had any intention of following that genre per se, but just got really fascinated with the story. And as I was telling you earlier, I tried to find her a little teaser. I went to her cemetery, which, as it happens, is the same one where my late mother is buried. So a definite personal connection there. I'm up there in Salt Lake, asked the uh, caretakers there about uh, Dorothy Moormeister's gravestone, and it's actually not public information. That is how um, hot of a case and a story this is. There's still secrets, even uh, 80 years later. So yeah, excited to share more of this story with the world. All right, well, we'll have to listen to find out everything that you discover. Uh, listeners, thank you again. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So Andrew, do you have any final thoughts about the Muppet Christmas Carol that you want to share? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you said your piece. <laughs>